Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. On today's show, we're talking to Hall of Fame photographer Andy Bernstein for 38 years, been behind the scenes with the NBA's biggest stars, collaborator with the late great Kobe Bryant on the Mamba Mentality book, and also here with me in the bubble to talk about bubble life, the playoffs, Lakers, Clippers, Luka, Kawhi, LeBron, all of the above. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Sam. Uh-huh. 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 People together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Yeah, but we don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show, the Tampering Podcast. I'm Sam Amick here, as always, NBA writer for the Athletic, coming to you live, although this is recorded when you hear it, but coming to you live from the bubble, the NBA bubble in Orlando, Lake Buena Vista, Florida, more specifically. And I was figuring out on the show this week, all right, who do we want to chat with? And I uh, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. Lo and behold, it, it came to me literally in person, walked on the NBA shuttle, Two days ago, when I was relocating from uh, the outside hotel, the Waldorf Astoria, into the bubble itself, ran into a longtime friend and a guy who is a legend in the business and who is with me here today, Hall of Fame photographer Andy Bernstein. My friend, how are you? Sam, I am good, my friend. Uh, I feel like we could wave to each other if we knew where we were in right. this bubble thing. But uh, thanks for having me on, man. It's, first of all, great to see you and a friendly face, although you had Likewise. half of it covered with a mask. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm glad to be going through this experience with you, man. Well, and then as I, you know, we talked offline about this a little bit. I think what we're going to lean into today on the show is just is this is a it is a weird, uncomfortable, surreal. Uh, experience, but also one professionally that I'm excited for. You have personal dynamics where all of us kind of said goodbye to our loved ones for quite some time. And and even though you and I are just getting started, take me through work-wise what this will be like for you. Once we get out, um, I'm thinking about how you normally operate, how you spend a lot of time right in the faces of players trying to capture the emotion relationship-wise, you know, very likable person who's constantly interacting to, to get that comfort level that leads to a lot of the great art that you put out. How different will this be and where is your head at when it comes to, to capturing the history that we're about to see? Well, I've been, I've been following um, what my colleagues have been doing. Essentially, um, NBA Photos has sent kind of three waves of photographers down here. So there was the first wave of guys who actually got here a week before the players did to document all the um, preparation and getting the courts ready, install lights, things like that. And then, of course, getting the players arriving. Um, and then the, um, the practices and the initial games. And then kind of a couple of guys left and a couple of guys came in. And now I'm in the third wave, myself and uh, Nat Butler, who's my cohort from the East. And um, we're here essentially, basically second round forward. So I've been watching what my buddies have been doing. Um, if anybody 
As noticed, the baselines are completely clean of photographers and videographers, which is a first for at least in my NBA life. Um, you, you do see that in international play and in Olympics where there are no photographers or video people on the court. But so we are now shooting off of the court. We're shooting um, kind of in the corners behind the signage from elevated positions a little bit at center court. Of course, it's, you know, an empty arena. So you can maybe move around a little bit to get a, a different kind of perspective or look, but, but they want it to be kind of locked in in terms of um, consistent from game to game where we all sit and shoot from. I'm used to being right there under the basket, inches away from players, but they wanted to keep the players and us separated, which they obviously needed to and had to. So, you know, uh, I'll have to get back to you <laughs> after it first. And I got to tell you, man, I haven't shot a game. I haven't shot anything. I haven't taken one picture in five months. So, you know, hopefully I'll remember like riding a bike because um, I've never gone this long without taking a picture in my professional life. Sure. I'm sure that's wild. Listen, I wrote a story yesterday and, and I've been writing this entire time, but this was more of a observational first person type of piece. And, and it, man, I had some rust in terms of that type of reporting, that kind of writing. And, and so I could relate, you know, and I even told my editor, I said, listen, I don't know if it's going to land with the audience, but it, it felt good to get those synapses going in the kind of way that they haven't been. Because what we've been doing writing wise in the past six months is, is all reporting over the phone um, certainly information-based perspective, this type of thing where, let me tell you about what I saw when I went to take a test today. Let me, you know, it's, it's the boots on the ground style. That's not what we've been doing for a while. So I can definitely relate. You, uh, you got such a, you know, an incredible history with the Lakers, um, but I want to keep it current right now and, and, and give me your two cents on that squad because so much of the story around you, a lot of times, inevitably comes back to Kobe and, and what he achieved, but you've now been covering LeBron James for a couple of years and, and been around him a lot. Um, and, and that crew has a ton on the line right now. And they, you know, they, they want nothing less than another chip and another championship for that organization. And on the flip side, you got the Clippers group that you've been working with also for years and they're incredibly talented uh, from a basketball standpoint. What do you think about the position that, that both those squads have put themselves in right now? Well, I think they both realize that this is a long, long marathon in a in a couple of profound ways. I mean, one, being here <clears throat> since the beginning of July with the potential of being here till the middle of, of October. You know, if either team gets to the finals, is is daunting to say the least. It's a tremendous sacrifice in that way. Um, but also, you know, the, what we've seen in the first round so far, I don't want to say it's taken anyone by surprise, so to speak, because, you know, these guys are good. <laughs> I mean, whether you're the one seed, the six seed, the eight seed, you know, the seed that almost made it in, you know, like Memphis or, or look what Phoenix did, you know, these guys can play. And, um, you know, my history <laughs> being around the league so much, and I just had the conversation last week on my own podcast with Ralph Sampson, where, you know, the Rockets came in to play the defending Lakers in 86, defending champion from 85. And Ralph hit that ridiculous, like, flip shot behind his head. And all of a sudden, boom, the Lakers were out and the Rockets go to the NBA Finals. You know, so right. anything can happen. <laughs> right. And that, well, that, that, the Mav <laughs> series feels that way to yeah. me. It feels like it's, it's a believable prospect that I could see the Clippers getting bounced by that team. 
I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, I love that team. I love the organization. I've loved them since day one when I started working for them in 84 when they moved from San Diego. And for me, it's wonderful to see both teams relevant at the same time and good at the same time, you know, because we've so many years of the Clippers not being good. And then the Lakers kind of taking a, a little bit of a nosedive and the Clippers getting better. But now to have them both good at the same time, for me, and I'm sure for you, but it, for me, covering both of them in L.A. is uh, is a gift. Live sports are back, and it's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure that your Nuggets are as safe as possible when the matchup happens. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools and it includes a slash tip tweezers rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with new and improved lawnmower waterproof cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and the Reviver is a spray-on toner made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code ATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. You want Chinese? They want pizza. And someone is craving Froyo. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. Continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be safely delivered outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off settings. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your go-tos or choose from your local national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code DING. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code DING. Don't forget, that's code DING for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. No, it's fun for sure. Although I've, I've in in the writing circles, we 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 lament that before COVID brought everything to a halt, as you remember, we were all dreaming of the day that we'd be having to or getting to cover a conference finals in LA, where <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't go anywhere. You know what yeah. I mean? I was gonna bring the family down there and and go to Disneyland in between games and never be getting on a plane. Uh, and you talk about Jerry West dream game. That was my <laughs> my dream NBA playoff setup, but. Yeah. Alas, here we are. Um, you talk about that Lakers-Clippers dynamic. 
And man, you, you've got such a, a fascinating spot because you are not only chronicling the action on the court for both squads and, and not only obviously being based in LA and you have a, your own podcast legends of sport is, is co-produced with the LA times. So Andy, you are LA and now mm-hmm. you have not only two high level basketball teams in town really for the first time ever, like you said, but you have like some, you got some, there's a rivalry there and you've got some chippiness between the ownership groups and you've got a, uh, a, a tense dynamic. And this is, you know, I'm not putting words. This is me talking, but there is, there is a turf war happening between those two squads. Um, has that been tricky at all for you to move within, if that makes sense? And, and how do you see that dynamic? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I don't feel like it's been tricky. I feel like both organizations respect what I have to do. You know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm there for the league. So I represent the NBA, represent NBA photos, NBA entertainment. Um, and my duties as team photographer from like the old sort of definition have changed quite a bit over the years. So now both teams have their social media groups. They have their content groups. So the nuts and bolts sort of team photography that I've always been responsible for has a little bit um, evaporated <laughs> over the years right. recently. Um so I can certainly stay impartial. Um, I can root for both teams, you know, in my head. Um, I don't obviously do it overtly there at the games. Um, I have great friends on both or- with both organizations. It is kind of fun to be, you know, going from one side of the hall to the other. <laughs> and, sure. you know, to what you said, uh, you know, that should we see a Lakers-Clippers conference finals? No, it won't be a hallway series, but you know, it's going to be, a, you know, I guess, a Disney campus series. I mean, it'll be right. it's still going to be in one place. Um, and what's interesting is there won't be a, a home team per se, but um, but that's a whole other dynamic, you know, not having home crowds and all that kind of thing. Right, right. Absolutely. You're always such a, a good storyteller. And, and you and I have had this conversation where, and it's been about a year, I think, where, you know, when LeBron came to town on the Lakers side, you, you know, professionally, it was this new challenge for you because you've always had a way of connecting with the greats. And then, and again, that leads to the work and you were, you know, finding your way with this new Lakers squad and with LeBron specifically, now that it's been, you know, a, a minute. And now that he seems like he's part of that landscape in ways, you know, it was so foreign early on, we all had to get used to it. Um, take me through that a little bit in terms of not only what you've seen from them and the team and, you know, Last year was kind of a disaster. Magic leaves uh, unexpectedly, and there was so much chaos. This year has been so much better. Uh, you know, how have you seen all that? Yeah, I think last year was just kind of a blip on the screen. Um, you know, a lot of things did happen. I, I do think it took LeBron a little bit of time to kind of get into the flow, you know, the Laker kind of um, mentality, I guess. and. Uh, sure and the fans to really embrace him as, as the, a true Laker that he is, you know, you know, Laker fans have very high expectations, obviously. And they also have expectations of how the team is represented. You know, somebody of LeBron's stature comes to the team. I mean, he brings an incredible resume with him, but he's putting on the purple and gold. And I think the fans um, have, you know, very high expectations of that. So, I don't think he could be proving himself any better than he is this season. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, at 
at 17 years in and what he's doing. Didn't he just lead the league in assists or something? I mean, oh yeah, I think no, for the first, first time, time in his career, which is plus. unbelievable. And he looks incredible. His his work ethic is second to none. You know, after Kobe, I think LeBron probably has the greatest work ethic that I've ever seen um, in my career. And uh, I love it. I love I love the leader that he is, and I love the fact that the fans have have really you know before the pandemic, obviously at Staples, we could really see sort of you know collectively the Lakers' arms and fans of you know embrace him um, as as the guy who's going to bring that, uh, that next banner, you know, seriously, I think that's, sure. that's what everyone expects. Take me behind the curtain a little bit. Like, has there ever been a moment where you've actually seen different things LeBron's been doing or just getting a sense of how he actually approaches the job that, that did make you shake your head and say, wow, this guy might actually be in that Kobe territory when it comes to getting after it. Well, I've been around LeBron, you know, his whole career, um, a little bit on the outskirts, you know, I shot him obviously his first game as a rookie and then was with him with USA basketball and then all the finals runs, but I was never really like on the inside with him. Um, like I was, you know, with magic or Kobe or those guys. So I never really got to see his routine and he's incredibly regimented. I mean, to the point where, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the protocols that we have at NBA Photos is we need to shoot the players arriving and getting getting them, you know, in whatever street clothes they're in and become a, a huge initiative for us. And usually, you know, you can kind of a 7.30 game, you backtrack, you know, to maybe around 5 o'clock, 4.45, players are starting to come in. Um, this guy arrives every single game at 3.30, not 331, <laughs> not 329, but 330 on the dot. I mean, he must sit in his car at the loading dock and, and wait until he, and know exactly how long it takes because you could, you could set your watch by this guy. So, you know, and then he has his exact routine, what he does with, with his personal trainer, Mike. Um, and uh, he does weight training. He does, you know, all kinds of um, fitness stuff in, behind the scenes. Um, gets himself mentally prepared, even the way he lays out. And you've seen it in the locker room. He lays his shoes out. He lays all his things out. And I found that that the greats really have have had to do that. They have to have this routine of of preciseness, you know, to their life. They, they probably have the same meal, you know, every single day before they leave. Jerry West talked about that. You know, J Jerry talked about how he he would take roots to from his house to the forum that had the, at least as many red lights as possible because he was, he was superstitious about red lights on game day. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, this is what makes these guys great, right? <laughs> I'm sitting here wondering how in the hell do you figure out which lights are going to be red more often than the other, but. Well, if anyone I'm, could do it, Jerry could do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's something else. Yeah. I mean, and Kobe is, is the comparison there because it's Lakerland, but you've also, you know, you're close with the Clippers. And, and Kawhi is a guy that we're seeing the work um, manifest itself right now. His back and forth with Luka last night was so much fun to watch. And I tell you, in terms of composure and in terms of meeting the moment and seeming like a guy who just never gets rattled, I probably would honestly put Kawhi at the top of my list uh, as, as amazing as LeBron is, you know, there are, there have been moments mostly in the past when, you know, that composure wasn't at that level. And I do think that's born out of a similar type of approach and, and a quick story for you, Andy, when I was, mm. 
I'm trying to think when Kawhi first came in the league, but going into that draft, Kawhi obviously coming out of San Diego State uh, was trying to figure out where he was going to land in the draft. And his agent at the time, Brian Elphis, uh, had essentially uh, talked to me about the possibility of going to check out Kawhi's workouts in Vegas leading into the draft. I'm with Sports Illustrated at the time. We do the trip. And, and I'll never forget sitting in Joe Abunasar's training academy in Vegas watching this young fella who at the time was essentially a lottery pick, um, you know, kind of middle of the first round is where people thought he was going to go. And, you know, everybody else out on the floor is just going in third gear. And Kawhi, the entire time I'm watching him, is working up a hell of a lather. And it's hard to describe it, but I just, I remember sitting there going, oh, this, this kid is different. He's wired a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that now, and, and you see that stuff all the time. First of all, that physique that he had then compared to the, the Terminator dude that he is now, mm-hmm. I mean, he's put on size, he's put on, he's just, he's got an incredible NBA body. Um, but give me a few sights and sounds on, on the Kawhi front and what you've seen from the Clippers side. Well, you know, Kawhi's a different kind of dude. I mean, uh, for sure. He, he's, he's very quiet, obviously. Shows basically zero emotion. You know, it was so great to be there in Toronto when they won last year and see him just let loose and enjoy it and have fun. Um, I'm sure away from the game, he's completely different than he is, you know, on the job. He's always been great. Has he ever said anything to you ever, Andy? Have you, uh, have you spoken to Kawhi? We did. We did. <laughs> yeah, no, I was remembering when, when he was with the Spurs and, and uh, that finals, you know, that he was MVP of and I was assigned to kind of just hang, hang around his locker. You know, that was my side that, um, okay. as he was getting ready and we chit chatted a little bit, you know, um, he was actually, he was friendly. He was great, but didn't, you know, didn't talk much. And I don't like to really talk to these guys when they're getting ready for games, especially a finals game. And then this year, um, I had to do a shoot with him and he, he recognized me and he knew that, you know, I was in Toronto and I had shot some of these photos that he remembered, you know, that I took and he was very cool about that. Um, but, you know, he he lets his work speak for itself. Um, he's not very vocal, obviously, and not even on the court. You don't really ever see him very rarely will you see him talking to even a ref or a teammate, you know, um, He's just very, very into his job, and uh, I, I respect that. I think that's okay. You know, on the other side, we got Patrick Beverly, who wears his, <laughs> his his emotions on his sleeve, and that's how he has to play, right? That's how that's his kind of way of of operating. You know, brings me back to Sam Cassell, who's sitting on the bench over there. You know, coaching with Doc. You know, Sam was like that. Um, uh, Gary Payton, of course, the king of of just trash talking all the time. Some guys just need to have that motor running all the time. You know, that's their way. Kawhi, I think, can internalize that and and feed off of the internal energy of that. Well, and even in the context of this Clippers-Mavs series, um, one thing I actually talked to a an assistant coach for a different team about the mentality and the personality differences between Luka and Kawhi. And in those first couple of games, you, the Clippers are an edgy uh, aggressive team and that's part of their mentality that's their ethos and the way they try to compete so game one Pat Beverly is just absolutely you know attacking Luca on the perimeter I think Luca had four turnovers in the first few minutes I mean it was ugly and you felt like maybe that was going to be the x factor that they were going to deactivate Luca because he couldn't handle that kind of pressure and then even from there game one game two 
the Clippers are going out of their way to to get under Luca's skin, and he is in as as amazing as he is at this young age. He's an incredibly emotional player, and I do think at times it opens him up to you know to getting derailed essentially by that kind of style. And and I so the chat I had with the coach was all about how Luca might have to fight that emotional battle. And then you look at a guy like Kawhi and you just think, my gosh, like just the way, like just good luck even trying to rattle him. Good luck trying to to start any mess with him. He's just not going to take the bait. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Kawhi have any sort of confrontation with anybody because he simply won't engage with you. Um, he's just going to destroy you. And he's going to more often than not get out there and, and beat you. So I, I love the fact that, um, I mean, league-wide, but then even certainly in L.A., not only are there so many great players right now, but guys who do it differently and guys with different styles and, and personalities. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Let, let's not forget that Luca is 21 years old. <laughs> I mean, insanity. I, mean, I, I, like, insanity. I remember when I was 21 years old and yeah, I was, <laughs> you know, I was, try, I was trying to build a career. I was this young sort of aggressive photographer and stuff, but to be doing what he does on this stage and with the poise that he had after that time out, you know, and right. knowing exactly how much time was on the clock, what he had to do. Oof. Oh my God. I mean, that was, that was Kobe-esque right there. Right. I mean, seriously, that oh, was, it was, yeah, that, that was, well, mom, here's the crazy part. Yeah. Andy, the other thing that was part of that chat with that coach was that, and this definitely, this trend broke in the last night in that game, but the Mavs have been terrible in clutch time all year long. They were 26 in the NBA mm. um, during clutch time and their execution was an issue. And I think I don't have it in front of me. I think uh, in that sort of time and space scenario, they were over 18 mm. during the year. And Luca in particular was over or eight on, on buzzer beaters this year. And so for him, you see, I mean, I can't imagine what a shot like that can do to the confidence of a guy who was already booming with confidence for one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's not going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I love and and that, you know, you just underscored it talking about how young he is, is that his fearlessness is just, it's not like, it's not unlike anything I've ever seen. It makes me, but it does. It reminds me of Russell Westbrook, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. how Russ came in and, and you were there when the thunder had that first round series against the Lakers mm-hmm. and Russ basically, you know, who grew up in LA looked Kobe dead in the eye and said, all right, let's do this. Like he had no fear whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Luca has that. He's been getting into it with Montrez Harrell, Pat Beverly, all of the above. He's not backing down from anybody. He's telling Montrez to stop flopping. Um, that, <laughs> that stuff is going to serve him well, because if that's the kind of you know basketball beast he is at 21, mm-hmm. I mean, what's he going to look like at 25? Oh my God, you're right. I mean, I think the ultimate compliment is is the reaction that the rest of the top level NBA players gave to him after he hit the shot, you know, Steph Curry, LeBron, all these guys are tweeting out their reaction. Uh, right. and, and that's, what's really wonderful about the, the era that we're in of technology, you know, that right, right, guys, right. they're all watching the game, you know, they're all reacting to it. Like we are. We take that for granted, huh? Like we, yeah. we've quickly forgotten that, you know, that, that's kind of fun. Like there was a time not that long ago that you didn't get to know exactly what, LeBron or Steph Curry thought in real time about some of this, this action. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. And look, this is, this has been an incredible platform for them for social justice issues that they've been trying to get across and that need to get yep. across the, the getting out the vote 
um, which is just crucial and vital right now. And, and it's so wonderful to see the NBA and WNBA players, the leagues, teams get behind all of that. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, there was a time when, you know, all this was not out there um, readily available to the public. And there may be not, maybe there wasn't as much a brotherhood either where the guys, sure. you know, could, could interact with each other through so- social media to raise awareness on causes. So I think we're in a, in a really great time right now for that. And for me, it's, it's wonderful to see that because it's truly a brotherhood um, and a sisterhood in the, in the WNBA as well. Let's not forget about them because they, sure. they're, you know, leading the way as well. And Kobe kind of bridged, you know, both sides of that, being a former NBA player who was trying to build the WNBA to become what it's becoming. So, you know, all that stuff is is great and is only going to get better, I think. Perfect segue, Andy. Um, you know, and I saved the best for last, but <laughs> but have got to get, you know, a few thoughts and perspectives and stories about the late, great Kobe Bryant. And, you know, you and I, cover, you know, I covered him later in his career. So, I mean, I started covering the league in, in 04 and, but it was the Kings B writer from 05 to 2010. And so I would see him a few times a year and always enjoyed covering him and interacting with him. Uh, but then, you know, 2010 forward in the national job, he became a, just an absolute staple when it comes to my routine and somebody who we were constantly talking about writing about, um, you know, trying to, to capture what he was doing out there. It's incredible that, I mean, we are, it's cliche, but it's true. You know, time flies and it's been eight months since the, the awful helicopter accident that took those nine lives. Um, but he's, he's front and center again right now because, like we mentioned earlier, I run into you on the bus getting into the bubble and you were the one who put it on my radar. You said, yeah, it's Kobe's birthday tomorrow. And so that hit me a little bit. I told you on the bus too that, you know, so I'm 42. And this would have been Kobe's 42nd birthday. And uh, that hit, you know, it certainly hits home. Every time I look at that book that you guys did together, it is a reminder in general of kind of the frailty of life. Um, you know, is, are you with me in terms of it's the idea that it's, it's just crazy that it's already been that long? And, you know, with us talking about him these past couple of days and him, when he's on the TV in front of me right now, their NBA TV is doing the 81-point game. Um, where I guess headspace wise, you know, how have you processed, you know, him actually being gone and the fact that it's been a minute now, just how are you feeling? Yeah. I, I don't know, Sam. It's like day to day. Um, the shock is not worn off. I thought the shock would sort of dissipate a little bit and it would just be grief and sadness and, and missing him. Um, but it's still, a, it's still an unbelievable shock that, that this happened on that Sunday, you know, like you said, eight months ago, um, remember where I was, you know, to the, to the second to where I was, um, you know, when it happened and what I was doing. And I'll always remember that as I'm sure you will. And everyone listening to this, um, you know, yesterday being his birthday today, being the celebration of 824, you know, Kobe Bryant day throughout the world. Um, it's, it's incredibly, uh, amazing to see the outpouring of love, um, from just, you know, the everyday fan to players uh, across all our, you know, our league and WNBA, all different leagues, different sports, politicians, you know, people who 
just loved him and uh, his and you know his legacy lives on through all of us. You know, I'm very thankful that we had the opportunity to do the book together. The book is kind of a thread now and the connection between the fans and him. This the book was a hundred percent written, you know, by him in his words. Uh, I was just there to stick the pictures in, you know, <laughs> he, it was all, that was all him, the Mamba mentality book. Well, and, and just to interject real quick, Andy, cause you and I haven't talked in detail about the book. And I will tell you that the part that is just unbelievable to me is that for one, and if anybody hasn't seen the book, you've got this really neat synergy between the, the shots that you have, which because, you know, your, your, your cat, you know, catalog is so, uh, voluminous, like you, you clearly just had shots of everything, every situation, every scenario within his career. And so you guys connected specific shots with specific stories. So if he's sitting on the training table, getting ice, he would literally write about the ice process and, and what his routine was and what his mentality was. And so that part of the book I love, but on a deeper level, it's, it, it's just incredible to look at it now. It, it's it's the kind of thing that from a life standpoint, we should all sit down and write, you know, a book of our own telling the people in our lives what they mean to us. And and the fact that you guys did that when nobody obviously knew what was coming next is, is, the, is the incredibly surreal part to me. And now looking at it, reading it, I mean, it puts it in a whole different light. That element, though, has got to certainly hit you, too. Oh yeah, for sure, Sam. A hundred percent is very, very uh, humbling, um, and I'm, you know, super grateful to him and and everyone from his team that really helped get this project done. You know, he didn't have to do this book. I mean, he he could have, you know, he had a million things to do, as we know. I mean, he had an Academy Award to win. You know, <laughs> he had to promote the women's game across the board. He had uh, all kinds of other creative projects going on. <clears throat> when I brought the idea of doing the book to him and, and his marketing team, they saw it as a good, great opportunity for me, quite frankly, and they they were very incredibly generous about that. But Kobe also saw it as an opportunity for him to to let everyone into the kind of behind the curtain, what made him the Black Mamba. What what did that really mean to him? Because we all have our own opinions of you know what made the mamba tick but we needed to hear from the mamba like what made him what made him tick so he wanted it to be in his own words he wanted it to be a teaching tool also because the book explains a lot of technique a lot of process a lot of craft what went into you know making him as great a player as he was and then of course the whole mamba mentality aspect of the mental preparation and continuing to strive for greatness um, when you've already achieved greatness, you know, a lot of people just stop at one point in greatness, but Kobe was always curious what that next level was. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing, it was an amazing, um, incre- incredible accomplishment really, and a gift. And now we're myself and, and a gentleman named Mike Asner, who started a, um, a platform called Kobe mural. And it's an Instagram site and, and a website where he tracks almost 400 murals throughout the world that have been done by artists who, who are expressing their love and grief for what happened to Kobe and Gigi through mural art, which is amazing. So we released a video today, um, a little taste of doing interviews with some of these artists in the LA area, and we're going to expand that throughout the world. So that, that to me is also important because everyone has a story to tell about how much they loved him, what he meant to them, 
how they influence their life. And in this case, it's through mural art, which, you know, we've all seen, you know, driving through LA or wherever we go, there happens to be a mural somewhere. And uh, we want to understand the stories behind that. Your timing's uh, kind of impeccable. As you were telling that story, Andy, I glanced at my phone, I got a notification and, and uh, one of Kyrie Irving's folks just emailed me a video that I guess he just put out on his social media accounts with, with his memories of Kobe and, and what he meant to him. So you're seeing that all over the place and the influence is, is certainly uh, pretty profound. I, I wonder for you, because he, especially later in life, post-retirement, he, uh, his curiosities and his creativity had gone to a different place. Um, I, I got to imagine that you guys had plenty of conversations about the art of photography and he probably showed specific interest in what you did. Um, you know, give me a sense of that. I mean, cause I knew you guys, you, you, it's one thing, Andy, the other guys we talked about, you, you, you're around them, you take shots of them. I think I'm accurate in saying like, I mean, your, your connection with Kobe was something entirely different from all of that. And you guys were very close friends. So, uh, you know, what did he think about what you do? Well, you know, Kobe was obsessed with what he did. I mean, it, it you know, it's the first pillar of the mama mentality is obsession. And, uh, he, he once said to me, he said, man, you're as crazy obsessed with what you do as what, what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has that famous quote, which I'm sure you've heard used that, um, if you're not obsessed with what you do, we don't speak the same language, you know? Right. Right. And it was kind of an unsaid thing between us for years. When we started to do the book together, I really got a sense of, of what my photography and what other people's photography meant to him, because he would look at a picture completely different than I would, you know, I, I would give him, you know, we're doing the chapter, for example, about him against Jordan and a young Kobe you know, defending Jordan and he'd ask for, you know, specific photos and I'd get them and I'd find them and we'd sit down and look at them. And, you know, I think it's a nice picture of a young Kobe Ding up Michael Jordan and he would break it down like it was like a science experiment. You know, he, he would, <laughs> he would say, look, look, every, and, and the way he captioned this, the picture in the book was everything I'm doing in this picture is wrong. <laughs> because he wanted to teach people how to do it right. Right. So, right, he, right, so right. he literally learned yeah, from, from looking at my picture, he learned to improve his game, which blew me away. I got to be honest with you. I had no idea that he was looking at photos and videos and things in that way. Um, and he, he would have me look, he'd say, look where my hips are. Look where my foot is pointed. Look, how, look where I'm not looking. I should be looking at his chest and I'm looking at his eyes, you know, whatever. And um, that went on and on, photo after photo after photo. So the challenge for me and, and our editors back at NBA Photos was to find the pictures that could tell the story that he wanted to tell. Right, right. And well, and that, that you know, kind of habit of his, certainly, I mean, that spawned the detail show on ESPN that I used to love watching, where you got to be a, a hardcore hoop head to take in that show. It had no commercials. It was about 20, 25 minutes but it was just, you know, nothing but the sound of Kobe's voice going over film. But the stuff that he would break down in those sessions, kind of like you with him looking at that picture, you sit there shaking your head going, oh boy, like I, I kind of thought I knew this game a little bit, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah. And his memory was unbelievable. He would remember stuff like him against Bruce Bowen, for example, you know, and he would remember exactly what game in which Western Conference final, you know, which quarter it was, <laughs> where, 
where he did a certain thing or Bruce leaned a certain way, you know, and then Kobe would spin and dunk on him and he'd say, you have that picture, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, this is like 14 years ago, but yeah, I'll, I'll find it. <laughs> I mean, that's another thread between he and LeBron is these, some of these great players, their, their recollections, incredible. LeBron will sit there and tell you, you know, blow by blow what happened in the 06 playoffs in a certain yeah. game. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. Andy, in the time, that in the time that we uh, been sitting here chatting, actually the piece I mentioned earlier went live on our website where it's just my early observations about the bubble and a few thoughts about this experience. But, but in that piece, I mentioned a, uh, an anecdote that I hadn't shared before. And it was just, there's a little section on Kobe and kind of the spirit of what we're talking about here. And the, the story was Mark Jackson. Uh, I, I talked to him the night that the Lakers played Portland, uh, it was the first Lakers home game after Kobe passed. And I remember asking Mark just, you know, very plainly, when's the last time you talked to Kobe? And the story that he told was that ESPN had aired the Lakers Mavs game about eight or nine days before Kobe passed away in the accident. And uh, Mark was heading out to the Staples Center parking garage and lo and behold, he runs into Kobe and Gigi. And he had never met Gigi before. Um, Kobe stops and wants to introduce them and talk hoop for a minute, like he always would. And I guess the way he introduced Gigi to Mark was, was pretty great. It's a charming little story where he says, he goes, Gigi, you know how, when we're practicing, I'm always telling you hand down, man down. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, that's him. This is the guy, you know? And so they just, they, they wrapped And and so with you and to kind of close here, and, and I can't thank you enough for coming on. I, I don't think I've asked you this before. I mean, what was the last time that, that you and Kobe were able to speak and, and what is that memory? Yeah, I just actually saw the picture a friend of mine shot um, from that interaction. It was uh, two, three days before the accident and um, he and Gigi were at the game and sitting catty corner to me, you know, where I sit under the basket, he was on the on the sideline and I came over, of course, to say hi and we chatted and he, he would always rib me, you know, he'd always say, man, you still doing this job? <laughs> when are you going to retire, man? <laughs> and um, and we, we'd always have a laugh and Gigi always was very sweet. And uh, I was also looking at some photos from that game uh, when Luca came over, you know, and, and yeah, I remember. And, and Kobe, there's a video that came out today. They spoke in, in Slovenian. Yeah. And there's a video of Kobe directing me to take the picture of Luca and Gigi. <laughs> I mean, somebody actually shot, shot that whole scene going on. Right. And he's right. like directing them like he would do, you know, um, like any parent would do, really. And, right, right, right. And, so I would get the right angle and the right moment. <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful thing. I had never seen that video before today. So it, uh, it brought back a great memory. That's very cool. Listen, I mean, he gone way, way, way too soon. It, it sure was fun to see the space he got in post-retirement. And, um, and this was in the, in the story I wrote too. I mean, the other fun memory that becomes fonder the longer he's gone is when, uh, I think it was April of 2019. Um, I, and maybe time, timelines off 2018. I, I substitute taught at my alma mater at Sacramento state um, and I have a friend of mine who teaches a journalism course. And essentially I told him that, Hey, for when I, you know, for somewhere down the line, I'd love to dip my toe into the teaching ranks and see what I think. But the truth is, I mean, truthfully, and I don't, I don't love public speaking. It's not a strength of mine. It's something, but as the older I get, I was like, let me push myself a little bit here and see if I can't 
pass on some lessons I've learned to some of the younger crowd that's trying to get into the media business. So I teach this course, but I had a uh, scheduling conflict because when I was doing the course, Kobe's people had told me that he, he had time to get on the phone and to talk about the details show. And I wanted to write about what he was doing with that project. So I'm trying to figure out my timing. And uh, essentially I say, you know what? I mean, there's no better mic drop than your phone ringing and Kobe Bryant's calling and you have to tell people that you need a minute. So I said, forget it. Let me just tell the other professor that when my phone rings, if he wouldn't mind taking over for 20 minutes, that would be helpful. So lo and behold, we teach in the class, phone rings, uh, had a little fun with that little moment. Sorry, kids, got to go. Kobe wants to talk. <laughs> and I, I stepped outside and, and, but the part that I, you know, that was a little more personal was that before we talk shop about the show and knowing that he was in this different headspace where he was just creatively trying new things, I thought maybe he would kind of dig what I was doing. I was like, Oh, you know, you might appreciate this. I said, man, I don't love talking in front of folks, but I'm, but I'm up here doing my thing. We're having fun. And, and here's why I'm doing it. And it was partly about mentorship and things like that. And he was rocking with it. Like he was really cool talking about how neat he thought it was. And, you know, and then we talked about detail and, and you're on, on your way. And again, certainly the longer he's gone, you look back at all these different interactions. So uh, tough stuff. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're hanging in though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're so lucky to have known him and to have documented his run and his incredible accomplishments on the court, but to have known him as a person, right? I mean, your story speaks speaks perfectly about the kind of person that he was and the legacy um, that that is kind of, we're all charged with now, you know, especially us in the media with keeping his stories alive, keeping his um, mission alive, um, and keeping the mem- his memory alive, he and Gigi both, uh, because um, they live within us, right? And they live, live within everyone that's listening to this. And um, the outpouring of love right now, like these two days, is just kind of beyond belief, really. But, sure, sure. But it's, uh, it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of my mission now is to carry on his work um, through my work. You know, my work sure. brings, keeps him keeps him out there, keeps him um, connected to his fans. And, and I can't ask for anything better than that right now. Well, and the day will come. I mean, this generation now of NBA players, Kobe was their guy. And so his memory is not going anywhere anytime soon. But, you know, you fast forward to the next generation and and as time marches on, you know, uh, the the work you've done will be, you know, even more important when it comes to chronicling, uh, you know, his, his run. So Andy, Mm -hmm. great stuff. Mm -hmm. My friend, uh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll be we'll be released from this and we will be doing what we are supposed to do, right, Sam? <laughs> right. You know, you you got my number. Uh I, I'm welcoming all FaceTime calls. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, your, buddy. Your LA Times colleague uh, Dan Wicky FaceTime me this morning and it was, mm-hmm. you know, the highlight of my day and up until you and I spoke. So um uh, call anytime, hang in there, you know, and 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 get some rest. Maybe do a few push-ups in the old hotel room and keep yourself sane. <laughs> yep, but, I will. And you do the there, same, bro. my friend. You do the same. I, I I got some years on you, but I got to take care of this old body so I can get back on the court doing what I love. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Can't wait to see you. Thanks for the time, Andy. Great stuff. Thanks, Sam. You take care, man. See you soon. You too. All right, brother.